0: The Operations Leadership Podcast with Goten Basu provides insights for today's business leaders on creating value through operations improvement, process excellence, digital innovation and organizational leadership.
1: Our guest for this episode of the Operations Leadership Podcast is David Derricks. David is a senior lecturer in the accounting department at Alto University's School of Business. In this interview, he will discuss the importance of enterprise performance management as a key to bridging strategy and execution for companies. He will also discuss around the key financial and non-financial measures, as well as lagging and leading indicators from the enterprise performance management framework. We hope you enjoy this podcast, and if you like what you're hearing, we ask you to hit the subscribe button. Without further ado, here's our interview with David. Hello, David, and welcome to the Operations Leadership Podcast. Hi, Gautam. Great. So, first question would be, could you tell us a little bit about your background, experience, and what got you interested in enterprise performance management?
0: Yeah, thanks for the question. So, um... I have a background in strategy consulting originally, so for about seven years of my, my career, I've worked for investor support and restructuring kind of topics. And during that time, I developed an interest, quite um, a quite large interest in the importance of clear communication. Yeah? So if we think about investor support, if we think about um, restructuring, it's a lot about communicating um, yeah, and the value of an investment or communicating where you want to go with your uh, restructuring concept or something like this. And if we think about restructuring itself, oftentimes companies go into restructuring proceedings if something in the communication structure fails. Yeah? So they are not able to implement strategy or they fail to yeah, deliver on the strategic promises and then end up in, you know, in a subsequent liquidity crisis of such. And yeah, during this time in consulting, I also had yeah more interest in going deeper. And uh, as you might know yourself, yeah, consulting usually doesn't give you this freedom, this space to dig deeper and actually finish a topic yeah to to the very end. So this is when I then decided to go more to the research side and then also um, yeah, investigate strategy implementation specific dimensions of strategy implementations yeah from the accounting. Or the KPI perspective, and perhaps also the performance management perspective, from the uh, from the science side or the university side. And this is now what brought me here, and I guess what brought us together. That now I'm actually um, senior lecturer here at Ulster University. I do a lot of teaching, and do executive trainings, so a little bit of consulting, and of course also still research as such mm-hmm. around the topics of performance management. Yeah,
1: right. You mentioned performance management or enterprise performance management in the context of restructuring or perhaps even turnarounds. Um, but is can normally healthy companies also use uh, enterprise performance management? Maybe, perhaps you can go into a little bit details firsthand. What exactly is performance management?
0: Oh, yeah, of course. So um, performance management, of course, is useful for anything and anybody. It's useful for us <laughs> ourselves in reaching our own goals, um, but any company can benefit from it. And If I would take a definition, maybe a more colloquial one, Maybe it's the art and science of getting stuff done. Um, so getting stuff done is, I guess, on everybody's plate for our private tasks. Um, yeah, for smaller organizations, for like a startups, that's fairly difficult, but still achievable. But the larger the organization gets, the more difficult it becomes to get things done, yeah, to deliver on the strategic objectives, deliver on the goals. So performance management gives us yeah, a set of tools a way of thinking about aligning the organizations behind those targets, defining targets in the first place, and um, things like this, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, and if we then think about um, more in the scientific or more conceptual perspective of performance management, then we can probably talk about yeah the idea or the science of defining good targets, Yeah, so kind of a future Perspective, assuring that targets are aligned, aligned with our organizational goals. And second, holding people accountable for achieving those targets. So if you don't hold anybody accountable, then quite often things don't get done after all. And finally, maybe performance management to wrap this up is about communication. So it's about communicating targets, communicating which targets you want to be achieved at what level, and giving people the right incentives uh, to follow up on your communication.
1: Mm. Yeah, so it is broader than just kind of turnarounds or restructuring. All companies can use performance management, even, as you said, individuals. Um, Does performance management, does that relate to strategy execution?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. So, I guess if we take the big picture, maybe our strategy comes from maybe our North Star, how it's often called, right? Then we have a vision, a mission, and then we try to deliver on this vision, mission through our strategy process, right? So, then a company usually formulates some kind of strategy over the next five to 10 years to um, get the mission done, deliver the promises to the owners of the organization, maybe the donors of the organization. Um, and the problem basically starts that strategies are usually rather lofty, if you will, yeah? so if we take the alto strategy, shaping a sustainable future, uh, shaping a sustainable future sounds good, it's a lofty objective, it's a nice objective, but it doesn't tell neither me nor you um, what we actually have to do, right, how do we, how do we achieve this, this kind of conceptual um, yeah, idea. So this then comes to yeah, how do we break this down? Yeah, how do we communicate to everybody what their little role in yeah delivering on shaping a sustainable future or whatever the strategic objective of the organization is, even if it's a financial one. It's very hard to relate. Yeah. So then we kind of connect strategy, big strategy, strategic idea to operations. Yeah. So operations I would define them as getting the things or implementing the things and getting them done. Yeah? And for this, we basically have different frameworks yeah, that, that we have, and I'm going to talk a little bit more in this podcast, I think, about one very common one, it's Okay. developed by Kaplan and Norton, The Balance Scorecard. Okay. Yeah, but maybe we can sure. use that too.
1: Yeah, and, and I guess the question that I would have is more coming from the operations background is that there sometimes seems to be a gap between the vision and the strategy, and then uh, us kind of on the ground, uh, making it happen or executing the strategy through operations. So how, how practically or pragmatically can, let's say, performance management, you know, cascading the strategy to the operators or the operational people? Can you talk a
0: little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, and maybe I can still use this concept of the balanced scorecard, mm-hmm. which which main goal is to yeah, fill the gap, as you say, the gap between strategy and operations. And the main idea is basically we take strategic objectives for many organizations' financial, financial objectives, as you might know, are rarely relatable to actually operations people, uh, people on the ground. And then we try to connect um, yeah, down to the operations, how we achieve our strategic or financial objectives. So if we take the balance scorecard, which is used by many companies, then we can basically um, yeah, disaggregate the problem into a big, higher-up, higher-level financial perspective, but then trying to understand what leads up to the financials. Yeah. So, according to this framework, um, which can then be adjusted and is adjusted uh, frequently by organizations, um, we then connect through the customer, yeah, so we have to have a happy customer, And then we start looking at what makes a happy customer. We look at our processes, the processes that deliver on customer satisfaction, and we become more operational. And finally, we look how we improve our processes, the so-called learning and growth perspective. So basically, we go from learning and growth to having very good processes that deliver on customer expectations, which then lead up to our strategy, our financial strategy. And the main idea is to basically create a framework which uh, outlines cause and effect relationships. Yeah? It's like a framework of hypothesis. It's no exact science, but it's more you know, where people and managers try to understand how, with very few dimensions, capture the idea of delivering on the strategy. Mm.
1: Very interesting. And um, what are some of the typical financial and non-financial measures that companies use within this performance management um, concept. And maybe a follow up question to that is, do the financial measures capture all that is necessary to drive a company's performance?
0: Yeah, excellent question. So if we talk about the financial measures, let's go into a couple of different classes, maybe, then look at the problems of these financial measures and then we can come to the non-financial ones and how they perhaps solve some of the issues with that. So if we take financial indicators, I mean, the classic one that's probably familiar with everybody, something like a profit, right? Mm. A raw profit, like a profit of 10 million euros or something. Um, this, this can be one of the financial indicators in the classic one now EBITDA. The issue with this is that profit, for example, lacks perspective, right? So is a profit of 10 million high or low? Who knows, right? So one has to put it into perspective. So the classic perspective is usually sales, uh, so one divides profit by sales and has a profit margin. But even that doesn't tell us that much, um, considering that yeah, we, we can deliver on a profit with very little investment, which is very good, very little capital, or a lot of capital, which might be more tricky, right? So the next step would be to take a profit and put it into perspective of the capital invested. Oh, uh, the so-called capital-employed.
1: Capital-employed, So yeah. then
0: we have a real C or ROIC kind of ratio, mm-hmm. which is a very classic one that many companies are following and that they're also stating in their strategies and so on.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, ROCE is return on capital-employed and uh, return on invested capital. Oh, yeah.
0: Like, yeah. yeah, thanks yeah. for the clarification. Exactly. And um, yet one other issue is then how high is high enough? And this is where the, the, the ROIC or the ROCE um, come into play. Um, is it high enough or not? Can you tell me? No, right? We need another dimension. Dimension, if we look at the capital market, that's usually encapsulated by the weighted average cost of capital or some cost of capital that we are using. Uh, mm-hmm. So when we put this into perspective, yeah, so take a ratio like the return on invested capital, in the perspective of the expected returns that our shareholders, our owners expect, then we end up with so-called residual income measures, which would on the financial side be yeah, the, the, the gold standard of, of performance management, according to many researchers and practitioners. So then we have ratios or um, figures like the EVA, the economic value edit, um, residual income, economic profit, uh, depending who you ask, different wordings for this.
1: What is residual income?
0: So residual income is basically, it's a, it's a fictive profit number, an event profit number that shows you whether you're generating value. So what is it? It's basically the returns you create, and from that you subtract what's called a capital charge. It's like a conceptual cost, not a real cash outflow, but a conceptual cost that helps us model how risky the operations are of a company and what do investors owners expect from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So maybe we don't go into detail of the exact formula here, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah, it encapsulates the idea what the capital market expects. And if we set up organizations behind such measures, then um, you you set the organization up to generate value to shareholders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a famous company that uses EVA in, in everything, like economic profit and everything they do, is, for example, Volkswagen, who have over the last yeah, 10, 15 years. Um, delivered a quite impressive track record in terms of shareholder performance, and yeah, market development.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so again, there is financial and then there's non-financial measures. So, as coming from more of an operations background, so we measure things like you know on time in full. So, if if we let, maybe that's a bottom up type of metric, how would that kind of cascade up,
0: or do you go top down? Yeah. or
1: bottom-up, or both.
0: Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, let's, let's first look a little bit deeper why we should be looking at this. So, one big issue with financial indicators is usually that they are more past-focused. Yeah? To have financials, business has to have happened. Yeah? So, when we calculate return on invested capital or profit figure or economic profit figure, then the financial year has already elapsed. So one could argue that these kind of measures, they are maybe good to look into the past and maybe measure performance, but they are not so good in giving us warning signals on the first hand. Yeah? Are we actually going to achieve them? Yeah? So usually we also want to look a little bit into the, into the future. And they're also not very tangible for people in operations. Yeah? How does somebody who works in a warehouse or works in a, in a manufacturing setting relate to a return on invested capital? yeah it's a very conceptual figure so to do this in performance management we do what's called yeah disaggregation trees and um yeah to to break down the logic mathematically mm-hmm. yeah so just giving one example now so we can take for example the return on invested capital yeah and then break this up into for example a profit margin and an asset turnover yeah i am, I, I won't go into the mathematical equation now on how to do it but mm-hmm. You um, could if you want. Yeah, I could, but <laughs> <laughs> just believe me on this. So then we can already have made this more tangible. Yeah. Yep. So okay. achieving a good return on invested capital means you are profitable or you turn your assets a lot. Like an example of a profitable company would be, for example, Apple. Yeah, They have a very high margin on their products, but they don't sell as much as, for example, another company like Dell, which have quite low prices, lower margins per product, but they turn their assets a lot by selling a lot of laptops, yeah, mm-hmm. to many big companies. Uh, this is already more tangible. And then we can go even further, yeah? If we look at the profit margin, then we can start talking about revenues and costs. And revenues we can then relate to sales personnel. Costs we can then go into production, operations, and so on. And then if we talk about the other side of it, the asset turnover... Um, then we can also more and more talk about operations, yeah. Mm-hmm. So capacity utilizations, right? So you turn your assets a lot if you utilize your capacity efficiently. So if you don't have to invest in so many assets, and we come to working capital management, yeah. So right. keeping inventories low, um, and managing our payment flows. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: No. Exactly. And and. And, and why, is, why would this be, let's say, uh, whether it's enterprise performance management or all of these things, the aggregation, disaggregation, why, why is it important, especially nowadays, uh, especially given the, 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 the current economic uncertainty? Um, why is it especially important now?
0: Yeah, it's especially important now and has, to be honest, has always been because we try like we said in the very beginning, align people behind our mission and strategy. So people need to understand what their role is to deliver on the strategy. Yeah? So we want to define targets, hold people accountable for targets that directly deliver on our strategic success. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So that's why it's quite important to make everybody understand um, how, how things are working. Then maybe we can also come a little bit about this future nature of measures. So if we take again this idea of the balanced scorecard if we want to look into the future, if we want to build this like imaginary crystal ball, then we cannot just go with financials once more because once more financials require accounting to have happened, which means transactions have happened. So we need to find out what drives the financials. yeah. Mm. So then we can go down in, into different measures. yeah, measures, non-financial measures like customer related measures. yeah, typical measures are customer satisfaction, yeah, satisfied customers. Very likely translate into um, yeah future sales. And mm-hmm. What makes customers satisfied? Again, we can put other non-financial KPIs below that, lower error rates, yeah, mm-hmm. like response speed, delivery times, like really tangible measures. Mm-hmm. can directly relate to the customer dimension, which in turn relates to financials. Mm-hmm. And what makes EPIC, uh, good good processes? Yeah, good processes, for example, can be driven by educated employees. Yeah employee experience, kind of measures, or, or, or process developments, so measures that help us to yeah, mm. look even further to the future. Yeah? So if right. we hire competent people, then we can uh, make a reasonable assumption that for the next couple of years, we might have more customer satisfaction, hence better sales.
1: Right. So what is the, the typical kind of sequencing of these initiatives? Does it start with, let's say, strategy formulation, then enterprise performance management, and then process redesign or process development. Is that how it typically works?
0: Yeah, so typically how the theory goes is, yeah, you should start from your mission vision. Mm-hmm. yeah, And this you then translate into a strategy. And then you try to align your whole organization behind the strategy. Yeah. So it's kind of a top, top-down process in a way that the strategy is kind of given. And depending how you derive the strategy, we can have a living strategy where you have many stakeholders um, feed into it. Um, but performance management basically takes over from the, strategy, from the strategy definition phase, yeah? So once we want to implement strategy, then performance management comes into play. Right. Because we want to tell people where they want to go, where they have to go, we want to communicate to them what their role is, and then we want to communicate to them um, what happens if they achieve or do not achieve the goals. So right. holding them accountable.
1: Sure, sure. So it is really very much in the strategy execution domain, this performance management. Yes, it's
0: very much in the strategy execution domain. But we can argue that the purpose of the organization right, is executing on the strategy. So yes, if, yes. The, if we take the argument far enough, then it is the organization in many sure, ways. Yeah. Sure,
1: And you touched upon this a little bit. But could you go into more details into the concept of lagging and leading indicators?
0: Yeah, for sure. So, again, one often distinguishes in management, accounting, performance, management between lagging indicators, which are very important, like financial, they're also often referred to as outcome indicators, and then to leading indicators. So, leading indicators are those that lead up to these financial outcomes. And maybe we can use not just a balanced scorecard, but a different framework. There's another framework, which is called the IPOO model, which is input, process, output, an outcome model. And maybe let's go through this with the example of, for example, innovation management, yeah, which is right now a popular topic, both in science and also in practice. So if we now want to define indicators that lead up to the outcomes of innovation, an outcome of innovation would be market share, right, revenues, profits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we can break this whole up to see if we can get a glimpse of the future, build a crystal ball for innovation management so we can, for example, look at input measures. What are classic input measures? Innovation process. So a simple one could be R and D spending. It's actually a financial one, but R and D spending leads up to future sales. Ideally, yeah, if the processes within or, within the organizations work, um, then we can take other, like um, again, employee experience, expertise. Um, we can put look at yeah, FTEs in the innovation process or something like this. Yeah. Mm. So these are input measures, and then these inputs they transform into processes. Yeah, then we can take process measures, which are a little bit closer to the end, to the outcome that we want to have. Yeah? So these people then work and processes, and there we can look at, um, first of all, yeah, project completions, yeah, uh, com- completion or, or delivery on um, milestones, indicators like this. Yeah. So if we deliver milestones more quickly, then we are again closer to the output measures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we mm-hmm. can look at innovation output measures, for example. So now we're coming closer and closer to the financials. An output could be a patent, for example, right, or mm-hmm. a specific product that has been designed. So again, not very financial yet, mm-hmm. yeah. But then a patent, ideally, eventually translates into an outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the outcome of a patent could be more revenues, right, more customers, more market share. Um, these these kind of outcomes, mm-hmm. yeah. So. Maybe you could somewhat follow, right? Like yeah. How we can break sure. up the problem and look further and further into the future. Yeah. Sure. So how how we could um, align organizations with mm. KPIs and mm. then holding people accountable uh, along those KPIs.
1: Right. Yeah. It almost seems like there's there's a there's an intertemporal time horizon, you know, from the strategy to the execution, and then there's measurements along the way that link these uh, these various measures, um, and and. Further on that, um, I'm interested because I'm thinking about also systems. So when you think about uh, enterprise performance management system, whether they're lagging or leading indicators, financial, non-financial, let's say that you're more from the operational performance and there are, are actually, I guess those would be leading indicators?
0: Yeah, mostly the process classify them as leading, leading indicators. Leading indicators.
1: Yeah. So what is the kind of feedback loop Uh, to, let's say, the lagging indicators, i.e. financial? And is there a feedback loop and is there a course correction? If something is going wrong with the process, um, does that have a feedback loop to the, let's say, uh, lagging indicators? How does that work?
0: Yeah, so I guess we can now talk about the performance management process in Mm -hmm. more detail, yeah? So we have a certain target defined for someone, yeah? be it inventory turnover days, or something like this. Uh, And then um, we arrive at the moment when the target has been achieved or has not been achieved. And then in performance management, we talk about two different aspects. We talk about feedback and feed forward. Mm. So feedback is basically something like a bonus. So basically, um, we look at who, we do variance analysis and understand um, who's responsible for the failure or the success. And then there's a bonus or some other repercussions. Mm-hmm. It's a feedback. And then okay. the person knows um, yeah, what has been their role and have they achieved or not. Um, on the other hand, we have what's called feed forwards. The same information on which we um, arrive at the conclusion of the feedback, we can then use to improve our plans in the future. Yeah. So we take this information and feed it forward to the next planning or target setting process. And like this, we have more exact, more accurate targets, hopefully. Right.
1: Right, that's a very interesting concept—feedback and feed forward. I never heard about that before. Um, so, when implementing, let's say uh, these kind of enterprise performance management or performance management, who, what, what are the main stakeholders that kind of kick off this kind of process or project? Is that the finance department, a CFO? Can you talk a little bit about that, uh, typically in real life
0: implementations? Yes, for sure. So, I mean, there are different performance management systems at different levels. Yeah. So, we have a str- strategy-based system like the balanced scorecard. This is usually driven by uh, the CEO, the CEO office, and then funneled down. These are very high level, but the most important indicators that we have. And then we can attach to the balanced scorecard new systems that go further and further down. Like a very popular system these days is what's called OKRs, Objectives OKRs. and Key yep. Results. Yep which basically takes the idea that um, you give people a high-level target and then ask them how they um, how they achieve or deliver on the target that is set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they define their own objectives. They define their own key results they need to achieve. Yeah, so this is used by Google. It's used by um, Intel, mm-hmm. but also used in many Finnish companies like mm-hmm. um, the OP Bank or right. the OP Group and right. organizations right. like this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, interesting. And, and you mentioned some of these, let's say, tools. So the balance scorecard, OKR. Could you describe or tell us a little bit more about some of the other tools?
0: Yeah, now of course. So there are quite many tools out there, and maybe it helps to classify them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And if we talk about classification, we often think about um, two dimensions. One is the relatedness of different KPIs. The other dimension is the balance of different KPIs. Let me give you some examples. So if the balance is low and the relatedness is low, then we can basically talk of individual key performance indicators. Uh, That would be like a profit or sales figure or something like this. Mm -hmm. Um, Indicators like this, of course, don't have that much informational value. So usually it's not recommended to use single KPIs. So this is then why we then try to expand into more KPIs and put them in relation, so we can then either stay um, stay lower on the on the balance side and go high on the relatedness side. This means we can go into financial KPI systems like the so-called DuPont scheme, which takes the return on capital employed and then tries to disaggregate it down. So go down to uh, down to working capital. Yeah, capital mm-hmm. employed, for example, is um, the fixed assets plus net working capital. Mm-hmm. So, But this all stays financial. So there's not a big balance in there mm-hmm. because every single indicator we have is financial. And like we discussed before, financials are lagging. Mm-hmm. So this is why we can then also look at a more balanced set of indicators. So let's step back on the relatedness and maybe go um, high on the um, balanced side. So a balanced indicator set could be this total quality management framework. Yeah? The total quality management is basically a very large, very balanced collection of key performance indicators around quality, mm-hmm. but they're not put into relation. Yeah, There's no mathematical logic behind this that one quality indicator leads to the next, leads to some final outcome. Yeah? So it's just a collection. Mm-hmm. And then we have the gold standard of KPI um, dashboards or KPI systems, if you will, performance management systems, which is a very high balance and high relatedness. Mm -hmm. So we try to have financial and non-financial indicators and put them in relation. And here we have frameworks like the balance scorecard, which starts with the financial one, but looks what builds up to the financial one. Mm -hmm. So like this, we have a good choice of systems that we can pick from. Now thinking that the financial dimension for many stock listed companies is still the most important one. Many companies are still under the so-called DuPont or EVA scheme, where they disaggregate only the financial dimension. This works well and can work well, but an issue is that one loses a little bit of future visibility and maybe this idea of early warning systems. So if we're not very balanced, if we're only financial, we we lack a future view on how things could be. Mm And if we now think about strategy implementation, again, strategy is such a long-term process, right? Five, ten years. It's very important, almost crucial, to have early warnings in year one, year two, year three, how we are doing in achieving our strategic objectives, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I would propose to always try to strive to go for a more balanced view to capture the future a little better.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and something that I'm curious about is, obviously, when you have these uh, performance measures or KPIs or uh, metrics, can there be a situation where there's too many KPIs? I mean, what's the optimal number of KPIs for either part of the organization or even an invid- individual to have?
0: Oh yeah, so um, again, different sets of KPIs have different purposes, yeah? So if one thinks about strategy implementation, one usually tries to get a very limited set of KPIs, maybe per dimension two or three KPIs. We have four dimensions in the balance scorecard. So yeah, then we have maybe a maximum 16 KPIs Mm. maximum. Okay. Um, If we think about on the more individual level of individual performance, then one can probably talk um, research back around five to seven KPIs. That people can manage by themselves, yeah. Right. So if we talk about objectives and key results, usually we try to be somewhere around the five the five mark, okay. so that we don't uh, we are not overloaded. Sure. But some other purposes, yeah. If you are like uh, a manager of a whole division, it might not be enough to just have fifteen KPIs. So for that, we have so got performance dashboards mm. um, where we have a very large um, assembl- uh, assemblance of. KPIs can be 20 30 50 100 yeah, yeah where we then have for example coloring systems that help us uh, pop out what, what the yeah uh, if, if something has to or demands attention and so on sure. Yeah. sure so depending on the purpose we have different numbers of KPIs
1: makes sense and are there uh, specific performance management let's say enabling information systems? Or can you get everything from, let's say, an ERP enterprise resource planning? Or are there specific uh, EPM or enterprise performance management systems from the information side?
0: Yeah, so the the systems performance management is often implemented through the big ERP systems. Yeah. So SAP has Mm -hmm. functionalities. Now in Finland, many companies are switching to one stream. Um, is there ERP system? Um, I guess then you have Salesforce. Um, so yeah, different ERP systems have different appli- slightly different applications, but usually they have a performance management module. Okay. Um, but the system implementation, I would argue, is not the most important part. The most important part is, yeah, the logic that's the logic. behind those systems. Sure. Yeah, that people can understand. Um, yeah, how strategy becomes to be, mm-hmm. and what their role is in the strategy. Yeah, how you then funnel that to your employees that differs. Yeah, then you we can have very low, yeah, low level systems like objectives and key results, which can just be Excel based or even just printed paper based. Yeah, you just put your objectives on the door, and then people see what you're doing and whether you're achieving them or not. Sure. Um, so sure. It, it really depends on which organization we are and how big it is and what approach they take. Yeah.
1: Right. And you also mentioned quite a bit about the organizational component. So when you do uh, performance management implementation, um, the responsibilities and the accountability, does that require um, change management?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean Performance management itself is can be a change management tool yeah, because we define targets to deliver on the targets. yeah. But um, also implementing a new performance management system yeah, can have quite severe consequences to the organization. Yeah? So nowadays, many companies are switching to Agile, especially many banks have switched to Agile quite recently. Mm-hmm. Agile is like a very low-level, um, low-hierarchy kind of organizational form, which yeah. its own performance management ideology, very close to this objective and key results OKR frameworks, yeah. uh, where um, people define their own objectives and key results and try to deliver on them. And, and these change management processes um, can be challenging for organizations, especially in the bank. If you try to remove hierarchies, take people's titles away and so on, it might lead to people actually leaving the organization, being dissatisfied. So depending what system one chooses, has must be very careful. Yeah, is the organization ready for it? Mm. Yeah. Again, if we think about obje- objectives and key results, um, if, if we take a very yeah, bottom-up framework, one also needs employees that are Quite independent, yeah. That are able to define their their targets, that are willing to do it, yeah. So it could require even a cultural change, mm-hmm. um, which has to go in the background to enable new performance management.
1: That could be challenging. Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. excellent.
1: So um, maybe one final question, David. Uh, how do you see the future of performance management uh, evolving in the next four to five years?
0: Yeah, so the future of performance management is now I think at a quite exciting point of time because we have very many digitalization supported um, applications in performance management. Yeah, so digitalization, AI, machine learning has quite some big promises in yeah, helping us to uncover new relations between KPIs. Yeah, so if we want to see what delivers in our strategy, we have more data available and new algorithms available that can point and hint us at what leads up to what and what helps us deliver on the final and end strategy. Uh, in addition to that, we, we also have the um, possibility of getting data to the people when they need it. Yeah. So we have um, yeah, more A higher speed, speed, higher response. Higher speed, yeah, real time. Yeah, real time. So this gives more response speed, higher response speed mm-hmm. um, to to strategy implementation or or corrective action. yeah. So if you have to wait always for the accounting period to end and then do strategic action or correction, that might be too late. Yeah, It's yeah. good to get information earlier on so you can still correct uh, those figures in the end. But of course, there are also negative sides yeah, to, to these whole processes. So because we talked about that... Um, Performance management requires understanding, right? It's a communication tool and it requires that people follow your logic, yeah? mm. And we talk about these new digitalization applications, quite often one talks about so-called black boxing, yeah? Mm. So when, if one has too much of this, if the computer gives all the connections, it might be that people cannot follow mm. why they're doing something again. Right. This then leads to the situation before performance management where, again, nobody knows why they are doing it. And this can reduce motivation. Um, it can even lead to error. Yeah. IT systems can also be biased. Yeah. And if people lose the capability of questioning the logics, mm. yeah, because performance management is also a lot about questioning and... Critical and thinking. Critical yeah. thinking, yeah. yeah. And then we have an issue. So we can, if we now take Habermas' concept of maturity, immaturity, I uh, think performance management... With AI, beer bears a lot of potential for organized immaturity in many ways. Yeah, that people are unable to reflect and think critically anymore on what their role is in the organization because they don't understand. So someone has to strike this balance between, yeah, using harnessing these systems while not losing the, yeah, buy-in or ownership of the figures, of the logic by the employees. Right. Yeah. Thanks. And then yeah, yeah.
1: So. Um, yeah, this is this is fascinating. I mean, I, I didn't realize that this uh, performance management was so broad uh, and connected, you know, the strategic uh, to the operations in a very nice way. So, David, I want to thank you so much. Uh, this has been a fascinating interview. And uh, where can people uh, get a hold of you or get in touch with you if they want to
0: uh, are interested in your work? Yeah, th- thanks for inviting me. First of all, It was really great to have this discussion. Um, if people want to be in touch with me, I mean, they can reach me through my Alto email address, david.dericks.alto.fi. Um, and I'm happy to engage in further discussion, of course.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much, David.
0: Thank you. That's it for this
1: episode of the Operations Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Gotham Basu. If you like what you're listening to with this podcast series, then please hit subscribe, and until next time.